I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to our text this Lord's Day, as it's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Very brief statement. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. When you are going through severe trials, it is possible, perhaps even likely, that you'll be tempted to question Christ's love, wisdom, power, faithfulness, justice in what you suffer. How could God allow this tragedy to happen if he is love, if he is almighty, and if he is fair? How can God be all wise and think this is actually good for me? Where was God when this tragedy happened to my loved one? At such times, a very important and life-changing truth has been obscured. The truth of hope. Hope. At such times and when we are taken down those particular paths, where we doubt, where we question God's love and wisdom and power and his justice and what has occurred in our lives or in the lives of our loved ones. We are only considering our present loss. We are only looking at our present pain and our heartache. And it hurts. Wow, does it hurt. It's painful. However, dear ones, what if God took the pain that you have endured and made it a comfort and made it a blessing, not only to you, but to others around you? What if that which appeared so ugly was made by God into something beautiful beyond your imagination. What makes the pain and the sorrow of this life so unbearable, I submit to you, is a sense of hopelessness. There's no reason for this. There's no purpose in this. And I am hopeless. And this is a hopeless situation However, add to the equation that God will make everything beautiful in his own time. And we can press on. We can continue by God's grace. We can receive his comfort and his encouragement. We can know his peace that passeth all understanding. And knowing that God will take that which is even ugly 
and make it beautiful in his time. How it will all come together, again, we may not know, certainly may not know in this life, how he'll bring it all together and make it beautiful. But the Lord promises. He says that he will perfect that which concerns me. In Psalm 138.8, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Solomon, in this text, leads us to that hope in Jesus Christ. The main points from our text this Lord's Day are these. Searching for joy in the changeable experiences of life brings hopelessness. In Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. And the second main point, searching for joy in the unchangeable purpose of God brings hope. In Ecclesiastes 3.11. So our first main point, searching for joy in the changeable experiences of life brings hopelessness. Verses 1 through 8 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we read, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to rend, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. Solomon, King Solomon, the author, the human author of this book of Ecclesiastes, we read in the early portion of Ecclesiastes, particularly in the first chapter, that he had tried everything that the world has to offer to find an enduring joy and contentment and peace. And he had the means by which to uh, try everything. Uh, he was the wealthiest of kings at that time. He was the most powerful of uh, kings at that particular time. His kingdom was vast. It, it extended farther than any other king before or after him as far as the territory and the kingdoms that he had brought under his, under his rule. In verses 
1 through 8, chapter 3, Solomon gives a very good summary of the varied experiences of life. And basically, it covers everything. What can happen? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Regardless of one's wealth, regardless of one's power, regardless of one's poverty, regardless of one's lack of power and impotence, regardless of one's health, regardless of one's sickness. It matters not. He gives us a list of the changeable circumstances that we all face to one degree or another in all of our lives. Why does he do this? What is he seeking to, uh, to teach us by the Holy Spirit? Well, he does so in order to make clear to us this all-important truth. Life is not consistent. Life is not stationary. It is one of continual change from day to day. And we do not know what we are going to experience from one minute to the next, one day to the next. No matter how much we might plan our life, it's not our plans that stand. It's God's plan. It's God's counsel that stands forever. His thoughts to all generations. As it's declared in Psalm 33, verse 11. How can we then depend upon anyone or anything in this life to secure for us a lasting joy and peace that will transcend all the changes that we see in this life. If that's where we're going to find joy, if that's where we're going to find peace, is in the people, the changeable people, and the changeable circumstances of this life. We're going to be like a roller coaster, are we not? That's where our joy comes from. Just as quickly as earthly happiness comes to us, it will just as quickly be snatched from us if it is only rooted in the changing circumstances of this life. The only one in whom a true joy can blossom and can grow and bear fruit now and for all eternity is one who is unchangeable in the Lord Jesus. He is unchangeable. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes, according to what is said in Hebrews 13.8. And it is, dear ones, this unchangeable God who has ordained everything in your life and in my life for his own most holy and wise purpose, Solomon declares in Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Nothing happens by accident. There's a season and time for every purpose. 
that God is ordained in this world. <clears throat> Nothing in this world, dear ones, is so reliable as to ensure and as to guarantee to us a lasting joy. Nothing. No one. The people, even our loved ones, the people, the possessions, and the pleasures of this life will end, will come to an end at some point. may not be until death, but we may see many of these things come to an end before even our death, or they will disappoint us. People will disappoint us. Possessions, pleasures will disappoint us as well. This is something that we need to remember. We will fail, all of us. We will fail to meet the expectations of others. And others will fail to meet our expectations as well. It's inevitable. Because we're all sinners. We sin against one another. And the closer we look at one another the more we will see their sins and their weaknesses and their imperfections. We may look great from a distance, but take a real close look for a period of time and you will surely find many things in my life that will disappoint you, I'm sure. If anyone believes that is not the case, and I say it in love, you're simply deceived. I have found, dear ones, this truth to be one that sets me free. Sets me free from an unrealistic expectation in resting my joy, in resting my peace upon people, even those closest to me. People cannot make you happy. They cannot make you happy. They cannot make you truly happy. They cannot give you a lasting joy because eventually people are going to disappoint you because people again are sinners. And we should not expect them to make us happy. For they are finite. They're limited. They're cha changeable sinners, just like I am. Though I should not condone uh, their sin against God or against others, I should not be shocked when others fail God or when others disappoint me by their sin. That should not come as something that I'm shocked by. And if I am shocked by it, I didn't have the right expectations that I should have had. Dear ones, we are to enjoy certainly the people and the blessings 
of this life as helps and as aids to our joy, but not as the source of our joy. Not as that from which our joy comes and flows. That's why only Jesus, who never changes, can be the source of a Christian's joy. So that even if every person, every loved one, every possession, and every benefit and blessing in this life should be taken from us, we might still know and experience God's joy, God's contentment, God's peace. It's possible. It's certainly possible. And God has sent his son to secure that for us. And when we know, dear ones, and practice that truth, I submit to you that we'll be able to rightly enjoy all of the blessings that God has given to us because we will not look at those blessings as being the source of our joy and our contentment and our peace. We will understand, no, it's Jesus that is, and he's the one who gives us these things for however long that he gives them to us as helps to our joy. This truth, dear ones, is really an incentive to understand that our joy is found in Christ and not in the things, not in the people of this world. It's found in Christ. This is really an incentive to growing in our knowledge and our love of Jesus Christ. If we know that our joy is found in him, our contentment is found in him, are we going to, if we truly believe that, are we going to stay away from him? Are we going to commune with him less? Are we going to commune with him more? No doubt again, if we truly understand and believe that, we're going to spend more time with the Lord. We're going to want. Because that's the source of our joy and our peace and our contentment in this life regardless of what happens to us. That's why Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. Paul didn't say, for to me to live are my loved ones. He didn't say, for to me to live is my job. He didn't say, for to me to live are my possessions, my house, my vehicle, whatever it may be. For to me to live is Christ. When our life becomes anything in this life which can be taken from us, then our joy, our peace, and our contentment is not firmly anchored. It can be snatched from us just as quickly as those things can be taken from us. Our frustration over the way 
that our plans do not work out. Even those plans that are good plans is God's way of showing us the futility of our own work in bringing about a lasting joy. It is God's way of turning us to him who is never frustrated by his plans not coming to pass. All of his plans come to pass. And so turning to him who is never frustrated, turning to him who is never caught by surprise, turning to him who knows all things and ordains all things for his own glory and for the good of them who love him. That's how we avoid frustration in this life. Are we learning? Because we all become frustrated. We all sinfully become frustrated. But are we learning from our frustration in how our day does not work out, how our plans have not worked out? Are we learning from our frustration what God is teaching us? And what is he teaching us? Well, he's teaching us that just as pain should tell us that something is wrong with our body and it needs to be fixed, so our frustration God is using to tell us that something's wrong and something needs to be fixed in our souls. Something needs to be fixed in our souls. And I submit to you, dear ones, the, the remedy to our frustration is not anger, is not bitterness, is not shaking our fists at God, cursing God, cursing one another. No, the remedy to our frustration is Jesus Christ. For he alone, he says about himself, I am the resurrection and the life. He alone can take what looks like it is dead and make it alive by his grace and his mercy. Our second main point, having looked at the First main point, searching for joy in the changeable experiences of life brings hopelessness. Now the second main point, searching for joy in the unchangeable purpose of God brings hope. In verse, chapter 3, verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Whereas Solomon has declared the search for joy in the constantly changing experiences and circumstances that we all face in this life will only lead us to frustration, anger, and hopelessness. He here explains the search for joy in the purpose of God that will bring hope. For Solomon says, He, that is God, hath made everything beautiful in his time. Not some things, everything beautiful in his time. 
I submit to you, dear ones, here is the cure to our frustration over people who disappoint us and over plans that are delayed in our lives or never materialize. God, by his inscrutable wisdom, has made all of the events that occur in our life, even those that appear to us to be most ugly, beautiful in his time. Back in Genesis chapter 1, God took the raw materials of the universe that he had spoken into existence, the, the, uh, the atoms, uh, the, um, the chemicals that he spoke, all of that which is matter, he spoke into existence out of nothing, and which were initially, as he spoke all of these into existence, it says in verse Chapter 1, verse 2, they were without form and void. He spoke them into existence and there was no form. They were void. Uh, there was, as it were, uh, uh, no order, no beauty. It was formless. But he began every day of creation week to bring forth the beauty and the order of this universe and this world so that by the end of that week our creator declared in Genesis 1:31 and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good he brought out of that which we would probably say is ugly formlessness and void. He brought beauty and he brought order. God could have spoken immediately into existence everything in its beauty and in its order. But he took time to shape and to mold all of it into that which was beautiful in creation week. And so likewise, Solomon here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 declares with regard to God's providence, not to his creation, but he's, I think, taking us back to reflect upon God's creation and the formlessness and the void that existed and how he brought beauty out of that. He's now taking us from creation to his providence and saying there are many things in life by way of God's providence that seem very ugly. But just as God took the time to bring beauty out of that which was without form and was void, that was just, you know, just all of the raw materials there. So likewise, Solomon is saying, God will take that which seems ugly, that which seems chaotic, that which seems not to have uh, any design or purpose, that's just chemicals or particles just bumping into one another, as it were, 
of in time and his time that he'll bring beauty out of it. Notice Solomon says he hath made everything beautiful in his time. In his time. Not in our time. Uh, not according to our daily planner. Not according to our calendar. But according to his calendar. That he will make all things beautiful. Whether we live in this world or have passed into heavenly glory, God will in his time make all things beautiful. We're quite the opposite, are we not? We want the ugly turned into beauty immediately. Right now, God, turn this, this awful situation that I'm going through and make it beautiful. Take me out of this situation or change that person's heart to that life right now. Or these circumstances that I'm going through right now. But he teaches us that just as in creation he took time to make all things beautiful, so he is using time now to make all things beautiful. And he teaches us through it all, the grace of patience. To wait upon him. To wait upon this truth. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. To wait upon that truth. Even when we do not see anything happening. That's what it means to walk by faith. Not by sight. Not by feelings. To walk according to faith is to say, I believe God is going to bring something beautiful out of this situation, even if I can't see how that is even possible. That he will do so. He's promised to do so. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. What is there to believe if, if God immediately, even apart from our waiting and praying and seeking him, if he immediately makes everything beautiful? What is there to, to believe? What faith does that require if God simply does it every single time? But there's something ugly. Immediately, it's beautiful. The Hebrew verb that's used here in Ecclesiastes 3.11, hath made, is in the perfect tense, which carries the sense that it is already accomplished. That is, he has already made everything beautiful in his time. Already. It is as good as done. Why? Because in eternity, God perfectly decreed his plan for your life and mine in such a way that every detail of it would bring him glory and would ultimately bring 
out of chaos, beauty. And would bring out of that which is disorderly, would bring order in his time. He hath made that to be the case by way of his decree. Nothing, dear ones, in our lives is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Nothing in our lives is unnecessary. Nothing, dear ones, in our lives will end up as God's people. Nothing in our lives will end up as ugly. No trial, no heartache, no affliction, no delay, no loss, not even our sin, not even our sin, dear ones, accidentally appears on God's radar screen. He's not caught by surprise by any of it. There is an ordained purpose for everything. And there will be good, a good end, a beautiful end for it all in glorifying God and in beautifying us, his people. He has promised it. He cannot lie. That's what we believe. That's what we must believe. Again, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Dear ones, it's impossible for any of us to find true joy, peace, and contentment in this life apart from resting in this truth. It's just not possible. For how can you find joy in this life, a lasting joy in this life, if there is no rhyme, if there is no reason for all the ugly events that occur? Here, my friends, is a certain remedy to all hopelessness and despair. Our hope and confidence are in a most wise and loving God who has ordained beauty out of ugliness, who has ordained glory out of shame, who has ordained hope out of despair, who has ordained rejoicing out of tears, and who has ordained praise out of pain and misery. That's why we always have hope in Jesus Christ. That's why we cannot quit. That's why we cannot simply say, this doesn't work. I'm going to try something else. Because God is trying our patience, our faith, even when we can't see. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And dear ones, we may not live to see all wrongs righted in our lifetime. We may not live to see all ugliness in our lifetime made beautiful. But in God's time, whether in this life, whether we're still in this life, or whether we're in heaven as God's people, 
He will make all things beautiful in his time. That's our unchangeable hope. That's what we rest it all upon. That's why we can have joy regardless of what we're going through. Peace and contentment in this life. When we reach that, that heavenly shore, at that time we will have heaven's perspective on all the miseries of this life. Presently we, we have an earthly perspective and we try, we strive to have as, as God's people, as those who love the Lord and uh, who are growing in grace and knowledge of Christ, we try to have a heavenly perspective on what happens in our life, but day in and day out we seem to fail. But when we are in the presence of Christ, we will have heaven's perspective on all the miseries of this life. And then we will see the beauty of God's wisdom in ordaining what he did for our lives and for the lives of our loved ones even. Then it will make sense to us even if it doesn't make any sense to us right now. Then the veil will be lifted from our eyes. And so let us cling, dear ones, let us cling to the truth that God has already, as Solomon says, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Let us cling to the truth that he has already by way of his eternal decree made all the ugliness we have brought upon ourselves or others have brought upon us beautiful in his time. That is, dear ones, our comfort, our peace in the midst of all the miseries of this life. And we have many examples in scripture in which we see the trials and the miseries of life transformed into something that is beautiful. We don't, we don't merely have God's word here stated that he has done so and shall do so, but we also have many examples, and we could, we could spend a lot of time going through all of those examples from Genesis all the way through Revelation. But we, again, know, for example, that Joseph who was hated by his brethren and sold into captivity. They wanted to kill him first and uh, then they were persuaded to sell him into captivity and all the, the anguish that Joseph went through. He was made to be the governor of Egypt in order to save those very same brothers that sold him into slavery to save them and their families later on, the very ones that hated him to save them. That which was ugly was made beautiful. Naaman, the Syrian general, contracted leprosy but was humbled by God and he was made whole by the Lord, so as to take the salvation of God from Israel into his own nation of Syria. That which was ugly was made beautiful. Job was severely 
afflicted and tried, but was upheld by the Lord during that period of time. He was eventually healed, not immediately healed, eventually healed and restored twofold of all that he previously possessed. That which was ugly was in God's time made beautiful. And perhaps the supreme example is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. All of the cruel torments that Jesus suffered, suffering the wrath of God, suffering the wrath of man as no man has ever suffered in order to become salvation for us from sin and from death and from hell. That which was ugly was made beautiful in God's time. Now when Solomon is not saying here that we should not see the ugliness and the misery of sin within us, nor all of the ugliness of sin that is around us. He's not saying that we should not mourn the effects of sin. He's not saying that we should not repent. He's not saying that we should not seek God's forgiveness. Those things we should all do with regard to the ugliness of sin in our own lives. And then also pray for those who bestow that kind of ugliness of sin upon us. What he is saying is that we must look in faith beyond what we can see and what we feel. We must look beyond our sight and our feelings to God who has made and shall make all things beautiful in his time. As I close, I want to submit to you there are two reasons. Two reasons why we do not see and understand God's purpose in the ugliness that is in us and that is all around us. Why we don't see God's purpose. First reason is this. We do not fully understand what God has purposed even through the ugliness of sin due to our own sin. We do not see clearly because of our own sin. You see, sin blinds us to God's purposes so that all we see are our own plans and all we feel are our own feelings. And all we experience are our own losses and our own pain and our own trials. You see, dear ones, sin mires us so much in ourselves that we cannot see and do not even want to see at times God's purposes in our lives and what is coming to our lives. It's kind of the last thing that we want to think about. What purpose would God have in what I'm going through right now? 
But that's due to sin in our hearts, due to sin in our lives, that we don't want to know God's purposes. See, that's the nature of sin. It's consumed with self alone in our trials and in our sufferings. It's not consumed with what God is seeking to accomplish in bringing something beautiful out of something that is ugly and that is painful in our lives. Are our pride and self-pity and preoccupation with self keeping us from seeing the eternal purpose of God in our suffering? There are some biblical examples that I would leave you with. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, Jesus passed by. He saw this man that was blind from birth, and his disciples asked Jesus, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Jesus wasn't saying that they were sinless, but what he was saying is this particular blindness that came upon this child from birth was not due to the, the immediate effect of some sin that the parents or the child had committed. But the reason that that child, and we don't know how old this, this person was that at the age that this man was finally healed of this blindness, that Jesus healed him of his blindness. But for all those years, he endured the ugliness of being blind so that the beauty of God might be displayed in his life at that particular period and point in his life. Or think of, again, another example in John 11, verses 4 through 6. When Jesus receives a message from Martha and Mary that Lazarus, one whom Jesus loves, is sick and has a deathly illness. And then we read that Jesus, when he heard this, he said, this sickness is not unto death. In other words, he was saying the end result is not going to be from the sickness that, the, that Lazarus is going to remain dead. But that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And so the Lord Jesus, it says in John eleven five, it says that he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And then it says in verse 6, when he had heard, therefore, that he, that is Lazarus, was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Instead of immediately going to Lazarus in order to heal Lazarus before he died, he stays two days longer so he will die. Which seems very ugly, does it not? But it was for the purpose of bringing something beautiful out of that particular seemingly ugly situation. The Apostle Paul, 
In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, had a thorn in the flesh, said it was the messenger of Satan that had been sent uh, to uh, bring strokes, some type of, we're not told exactly what it might have been. There are some who, who um, theorized that it was this kind of an illness or that type of an illness, but it was, all we know is that it was something that was sent by God in order to prevent Paul from boasting about the revelations that God had given to him. And Paul says that he besought the Lord three times that this thorn in the flesh might be removed from him. And this is what the Lord said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say something that kind of boggles our minds. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of God may rest upon me, even if I'm not healed, even if this is not removed from me, that the power of God might be upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When I am exhausted of all my resources and I have nothing more, it seems to be able to give, then it is when the power of God can most be seen in my life to uphold me, to strengthen me, to give me hope, to continue to walk in faithfulness when I don't feel like I have any strength left any longer. Everyone's, I didn't say those things. I read them. But it's the Lord Jesus who gave us those truths through his apostles. So the first reason that we do not see and understand God's purpose in the ugliness that is in us and around us is because we do not fully understand our own sin. But the second reason is that we do not fully understand What God has purposed is due to our own finiteness, our own limitations, that we are mere creatures. We have human limitations. We cannot be expected to understand, therefore, all of the purposes of God, what he has designed, why he is doing what he is doing. That's what faith is all about. It's saying, I don't understand God, but I know thou dost understand Thou art most wise. Thou art most holy and most loving and merciful. And I cast myself upon thee and thee alone. There will always be a cloud to some degree in fully comprehending the eternal purposes of God in what he has ordained in this world by way of miseries due to the sin of Adam that has been brought into this world 
Even in heaven, however, though we certainly will understand more than we now understand, we're not going to be omniscient in heaven. We're not going to know everything as God knows everything. We're still going to be learning and growing in knowledge. We'll certainly have a better understanding than we do now of what has happened to us and what has happened in the world. We'll be more clear as to what God was doing and perhaps in various circumstances than we are able to understand now. But we will not understand it all. God will still be all-knowing and we will still not be all-knowing. And we will still, as finite creatures, throughout all eternity, be learning and growing in our knowledge, but never, ever, for all eternity, able to be all-knowing and omniscient as God is omniscient and all-knowing. But, dear ones, we will still be at peace in heaven because we will know then without sin to hinder us at all that God has made all things beautiful in his time. And so I say to you, beloved, what we will then know in heaven without any sin to hinder us let us now grow in learning day by day. God hath made all things beautiful in his time. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Lord, how we love thee and how we love thy word. For, Lord, thou dost search our hearts through thy word and by thy spirit dost reveal to us our, the, our own ugliness of sin within us. And, Lord, the only way to make that beautiful, our God, in this life is, is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness of all of our sins. And Father, we pray that thou, would, that thou would give to us thy grace even now to look outside of ourselves, to be able as, as those who trust thee and believe in thee, Lord, to not allow sin to cloud our thinking, but to realize our Lord that sin will only cause us and the focus upon our own trials, if that's where our focus is, upon our own pain, our own heartache, if that's where our focus remains, Lord, to that degree, uh, we will not have peace or contentment or joy in this life, but to that degree that we are able by thy grace to look beyond, to see that there is an eternal purpose of God who is taking that which is ugly just as he did in creation week and in providence in our lives he is making all things beautiful. Lord, we have hope to press on. 
we have hope to continue on to look to thee. Grant us, Lord, that hope in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.